Recently, I had the opportunity to tour a region of northwest Saudi Arabia. Following biblical clues that this could be the actual territory where Moses led the Israelites to safety from Egypt's Pharaoh. Sensing I was possibly walking in the very footsteps of Moses, I received fresh revelation about the whole topic of divine healing, which is such a powerful theme in both Old and New Testaments. In these turbulent, stressful times, divine healing is a subject for which we need to really press into God. In these unpredictable days of being bombarded all the time with potentially distressing news, we must take special measures to maintain our physical and spiritual immunity. For believers, there's also the gift of supernatural peace in the midst of life's storms. And it's a peace that passes all understanding. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. Recently, my husband and I were privileged to walk in the footsteps of Moses in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia as we were scouting out a possible tour in the region where many explorers believe is the land of Midian and the real Mount Sinai. When we visit geographic locations associated with the Bible, we can receive much revelation. And that's how I felt as we walked the very difficult and rocky terrain of the land of Midian in northwest Saudi Arabia, which was not far from the cities of Eilat in southern Israel and Aqaba in southern Jordan. After the Israelites' miraculous Red Sea crossing, they were tested as they journeyed three days without water. At a place called Mara, the Lord healed bitter, loathsome waters that were undrinkable. As you might expect with any large crowd, the circumstances of hunger, thirst, and uncertainty drove the people to murmuring, and that led Moses to prayer. The remedy? The Lord showed Moses a tree to cast into the bitter-tasting water. The wood was a type of the blessed cross of Christ, the tree of life. Commentaries tell us that the bitter waters speak of life's disappointments. Our life journey is studded with setbacks. Trials are sometimes doubly bitter to us when they follow other trials and cheat us of solace. When friends turn their backs on us in time of need, when hopeful projects fail, or fun anticipations are not realized. Most of all, when God seemingly does not answer our prayers, the waters given to us are bitter to drink. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 20, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said, Don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty have dealt very bitterly with me. However, there at Mara, the Lord made an important covenant of healing with the people, a covenant that surely offsets the most bitter of circumstances. He promised in Exodus 15, 26, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep 
all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Thus God introduced for all of us one of his most important compound names, the Lord, your healer, Jehovah Rapha in Hebrew, the Lord, our physician. Then in the next verse, Exodus 15, 27, the Israelites came to a place of refreshing called Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the waters. My husband and I had time to rest at Elam for only about an hour, but we surely took time there at that peaceful oasis to remember the Lord's covenant of healing and how he took care of his people in the otherwise harsh wilderness. Amazingly, Psalm 105, 37 declares that among the Israelites on the Exodus, there was not one feeble person among them. I looked up this Hebrew word for feeble in this verse, and it is kashal, which means to totter, to fall or stumble or be weak. That was especially amazing to me as we walked the land because I don't think I've ever walked on a rockier terrain in a long time. In fact, our guide was equipped with walking sticks, which kept us from stumbling from time to time because we were continually walking over rocks and some were very sharp. After only two days, my shoes were fairly beat up, especially the soles. Yet the Lord records in Deuteronomy 29.5, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. <laughs> That's all the more amazing to me, having spent time in the rough terrain, which increasing numbers of believers sense is the region of the real Mount Sinai. I was experiencing firsthand how arduous the Israelites wandered for years. And in these stressful times, we need to believe for a miraculous preservation of our health. Based upon the fact that the New Testament records that we believers live under a better covenant with better promises. In fact, Hebrews 7.22 declares that Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Hebrews 8.6 says, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Thus, the New Testament teaches that the Hebrew Bible's priesthood, descended from Moses' brother Aaron, has been changed to the permanent priesthood of Messiah, Yeshua. Furthermore, the Catholic doctrine that an order of priests are the mediators between God and believers is merely a continuation of sorts of the Levitical system in the Hebrew Bible. But in the church age, the Levitical priesthood is unnecessary since Jesus is all we need as our high priest. In fact, the New Testament teaches that we have become a priesthood of believers there is one main passage in 1 Peter 2 in verses 5 to 9 that explains the priesthood of believers. The apostle Peter explained, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, 
a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus the Messiah. But you are a chosen generation, he said, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is why non-Catholics do not accept that we have to go to a priest to confess their sins. Instead, every believer has direct access to God through Jesus. And every believer has the responsibility to act as a priest to other believers. In other words, to minister to them, to pray for them, lay hands on the sick if need be, and so forth. The doctrine of the priesthood of believers states that all believers in Messiah share the same priestly status, and this eliminates any special classes or hierarchy in the churches. In the Hebrew Bible, only the priests, not the multitude, were allowed to approach near to God. But under the new covenant, according to Hebrews 4.16, every believer may now come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So now it's an established fact that in the book of Exodus, God made a covenant of healing with the Israelites and the covenant of healing is also promised and continued throughout the New Testament. It has never been abrogated. Unfortunately, due to lack of knowledge of scriptures, many believers are ignorant of the great benefits that are promised in the Bible. And as a result, the enemy takes advantage to oppress believers. If we're ignorant of our salvation benefits, you could say that we may end up paying for things that are already covered in our salvation benefits policy, and that includes divine health. Recently, I was disappointed to hear a man of God whom I admire for his eschatology, for his understanding of the end times, nevertheless state emphatically and somewhat proudly, heaven forbid, that he is a cessationist. Cessationism is an erroneous doctrine claiming that spiritual gifts such as speaking in tongues, prophecy, miracles, and gifts of healing ceased with the apostolic age. However, God's promises in his immutable word only cease through doubt and unbelief. Jesus, our great physician, healed with messianic miracles. And Hebrews 13.8 states that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord is unchangeable. So we are certainly not at liberty to change or to limit his promises in this word of God. We must receive his promises without the resistance of doubt and unbelief. When we are in the state of mind to receive God's promises, then we're able to be taught and enlightened by the Spirit of God, and miracles, wonders can happen. Well, immediately following my prophetic journey in Arabia, I began to manifest certain symptoms that, frankly, we can come to expect as we grow older. But I've walked with God long enough to recognize these as spiritual attacks and typical spiritual backlashes, which, of course, must be resisted and met with a rhema word of God. A good example would be 
Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who heals all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Or 1 Peter 2, 24. By the Lord's stripes, we were healed. Or one of my favorites, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. May your spirit, soul, and body be kept complete and be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. So I was in resistant mode to bolster my faith. And I reviewed a testimony from my favorite book outside of the Bible, Reese Howell's Intercessor by Norman Grubb. And my health and strength were replenished and those symptoms disappeared. Mr. Howells recounted how he took one of his workers named Joe, who was dying of tuberculosis, to a tropical climate where the Lord promised to heal Joe. The island's missionary's wife routinely inquired about the patient. But when Mr. Howells said the Lord had promised to heal Joe, she was incredulous, grasping, how can you say such a thing? You know his lungs are destroyed. You know it can never happen. Well, the answer of Mr. Howells is still working powerfully in me today. He said, it has never happened because of unbelief. Well, indeed, the Lord came down on Joe and he was healed on the spot. The victory was wonderful and the missionary made known the healing in public. When Reese Howells and Joe returned home, his doctor couldn't find a trace of the disease. And here's the highly edifying footnote that has helped me so many times since I first read the Reese Howells biography. Soon after they returned from the tropics, Mr. Howells started coughing up blood. He felt sure that he had caught the disease from Joe, but he found his inward peace was undisturbed. And because his peace was not disturbed, he ignored the symptoms and they ceased. Reese Howells remarked that many times we tend to stir up the devil when symptoms first appear. But if we have peace and if we know the Lord to be our healer, why should we do anything but trust God? Hallelujah. While we were in Arabia, the Lord also showed me how difficult it was for Moses to experience his wilderness years. In Egypt, he enjoyed the riches of Pharaoh's court because he was brought up by Pharaoh's daughter. But through circumstances, he was banished from the land of Pharaoh and lived for 40 years in the barren mountainous terrain of Midian, where he eventually married the daughter of Jethro, the priest of Midian. There he was alone, taking care of Jethro's flocks on the backside of the desert. The land is indeed harsh, hot, and full of billions of rocks. But God has proven over and over again that taking a person into the desert, as was the case with John the Baptist and so many spiritual men, that the quietness of the desert is where they can hear from God. And of course, Moses heard from God at the burning bush at the mountain of God. Also, Jesus spent 40 days of fasting in the desert wilderness where he learned obedience and how to overcome the devil by quoting the word of God. And the Apostle Paul, like his master, became a healer and a minister of reconciliation. Paul was driven into the desert where 
God taught him many revelations. Prior to his Damascus Road experience, he was Saul of Tarsus, a zealous Pharisee, persecutor of the early church. Perhaps Saul saw himself in the tradition of the righteous executioners in the Hebrew Bible who meted out justice and violence to traitors and pagans. In fact, some theologians suggest that Saul believed he was emulating Elijah the prophet who had executed the pagan prophets of Baal. Or perhaps Saul thought he was emulating the righteous priest Phinehas. During the Israelites' exodus, Phinehas was the grandson of the high priest Aaron who distinguished himself with his zeal against the heresy of Peor. Displeased with the immorality with which the Moabites and the Midianites had successfully tempted Israel to intermarry and to worship the false god, Baal Peor, Phinehas personally executed an Israelite man and a Midianite woman in the man's tent, bringing to an end the plague that punished Israel for intermingling. Phinehas was commended by God in Numbers chapter 25 and also by King David in Psalm 106. After the Israelites' entry into the promised land, Phinehas was appointed the third high priest of Israel and he served at the sanctuary of Bethel. So when Saul, a.k.a. the Apostle Paul, came face to face with the Lord on the Damascus Road, the only way he could fully come to terms with his shocking new commission was to follow in the footsteps of his role models. Paul went on a spiritual retreat to Mount Sinai. He wrote in Galatians 1.17, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but immediately I went into Arabia. And just as Elijah was commissioned by God at Sinai to anoint an Israelite king, Saul was sent back from Arabia to be an apostle, an ambassador of the newly anointed Messiah. Interestingly, in Paul's great chapter concerning Israel, Romans chapter 11, he mentioned Elijah's zeal. Paul quoted Elijah from 1 Kings 19.10, Lord, they have killed your prophets and thrown down your altar, and I alone am left. Paul felt the solitary position like Elijah had felt, but he discovered, as Elijah also was told, that God reserves for himself thousands who have not bowed the knee to false idols. Even so, Paul concluded, there is a remnant chosen by grace. In a brilliant article in the Journal of Biblical Literature, author N.T. Wright elaborated on Paul's modus operandi like this, I didn't learn my gospel from other human beings, but from the one true God through the revelation of his son. I stood in the tradition of zeal, going back to Phineas and Elijah, and their tradition so nobly exemplified also by the Maccabean martyrs and warriors. Indeed, my persecution of the church was inspired by exactly this tradition. But the God of Israel called me, like Elijah, to step back from this zeal and to listen to him afresh. And Paul said, when I listened, I heard a voice telling me that the messianic victory over evil had already been won and that I and my fellow Jewish believers were the true remnant, saved by grace, 
by Yeshua and marked out by faith. Therefore, I had to renounce my former zeal and announce the true Messiah to the world. So now, no longer the old Saul, the newly directed Paul, discussed his transformation in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, where it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman Hagar, and the other, of course, by the free woman Sarah. Abraham's son by the slave woman was Ishmael, born according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman Isaac was born through God's promise. These things serve as illustrations. For the women Hagar and Sarah represent, Paul said, two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. Paul wrote, Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present-day Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. This is the new covenant, and she is our mother. Now you, like Sarah's son Isaac, are children of promise. But what does the scripture say? We are not children of the slave woman, but children of the free woman. This is the new covenant. The law could not impart spiritual life, but the new covenant does impart spiritual life, writing God's law on our hearts. Benefit number one of the new better covenant, our sins are forgiven and you can have assurance of salvation. Benefit number two, you have the ability to obey God and to do his will by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Benefit number three, those under the new covenant can commune with God, enjoying inward fellowship with God directly. We can know God deeply within. Again, I want to say that the old covenant kept worshipers at a distance from God because of his holiness and their sinfulness. But the new covenant invites us to draw near because we have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus, his Son. Those who believe in the new covenant have all our sins forgiven, and we have assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. However, sadly, instead of knowing the glorious privileges of being the adopted children of the free woman, many professing Christians live in slavery like children of the bondwoman. The plain truth, to use another metaphor, is that the gospel is like Jacob's ladder. Do you recall in Genesis 28, the patriarch Jacob dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. The angels of God were ascending and descending on it. God's plan of salvation is like a ladder let down from heaven to earth to bring together and reconcile the holy God and his sinful creatures, mankind. God is at the top of the ladder and mankind is at the bottom. In between is the ladder or the cross. Jesus, the sinless son of God, paid the penalty that we deserve. Now the cross of Messiah is the ladder, our connection to God. The top of the ladder is far above, out of sight. We have no physical eyes to see the top of the ladder. But the word of God promises us that atonement was made for us on Jerusalem's cross. And the benefit package of our atonement includes forgiveness of all of our sins and healing of our infirmities and diseases. 
from the top of that ladder, God's mercy comes down for us, revealed to us in the gospel. Put another way, Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name. He is the ladder of God. Jesus is the ladder because he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we're in Jesus, we're safe on that ladder to God. Everything I've been sharing today is the good news of salvation, but a lot of believers still don't have a strong assurance of their salvation. They need to be familiar with the Word of God, which teaches that a believer may arrive at an assured confidence with regard to our salvation. And we don't have to be plagued with doubts. We don't have to be distressed with anxious questionings. While we may have inward conflicts with temptation and sin, yet a true believer, like the Apostle Paul, looks forward to the rapture or looks forward to death without dismay, but with great hope because we're going to be united with our Lord and Savior. I believe it's so important to praise God for pardoning our every sin when we ask for forgiveness and praising Him for His protection from every evil work. Today, I just want to praise the Lord for constantly being my healer, deliverer, savior, and miracle worker. I choose to trust him completely. For how should we escape if we ignore so great a salvation that is completely free and unmerited? Yet, once we decide to put our faith in the Savior, eternal salvation becomes ours without price. The only price paid for our salvation, healing and deliverance, was the Savior's blood. Believers have Jesus not only as our Savior, but as our full-time intercessor. 1 John 2, 1 states that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We are also under the new covenant granted the authority of the Messiah in His name. We see this, for example, in Acts 3 where the apostle Peter said to a crippled man who was begging at the temple gate, silver and gold, I have none, but such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up. And immediately the man's feet and ankle bones received strength and he was healed. And he went leaping and praising the Lord. Both Peter and John on that day demonstrated that they had received authority to heal in the name of Jesus, and so have we. The good news of the gospel is that if you have trusted in Jesus as your atoning sacrifice and mediator with God, then you are declared righteous and welcomed into heaven with exceeding great joy. On the other hand, if you are ignoring the grace of God, and if you're seeking to establish righteousness on your own terms, then you will be judged according to the verdict of the law of God without divine representation on your behalf by the Messiah. Today is the day of salvation, the hour that matters most. So choose him, choose life, choose eternal life by receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Also, we want to believe with you for your healing. Continue to thank him for your healing. There are two arms of the cross. Salvation is one and healing is the other. 
And if you'd like to be a watchman on the walls with us, we invite you to stay in touch on social media. And please check out our website, exports.tv. You can download our free Jerusalem Channel app through your favorite app store to watch our video collection on your mobile phone or tablet. And I share lots more with articles and news analysis at my Substack pages. Daniel 1132 declares that people who know their God will be strong and accomplish exploits. That means we'll take action. Until next time, earnestly contending for the faith and praying always for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha. Fast-changing developments in Israel in the Middle East keep us busy interpreting the spiritual significance of today's headlines. The Jerusalem Channel is taking advantage of the Substack website to post developments that you need to know about. Substack is a new kind of internet outlet for in-depth reporting and analysis that's completely uncensored and allows me to share insightful articles at all times of day and night. This is Christian journalism as it should be. We invite you to check out my Substack pages and find an understanding of Israel and Bible prophecy from my perspective. Just go to christinedarg.substack.com and be a part of our community. You'll also find an archive of all my articles. That's christinedarg.substack.com. Let's share what God is doing in these last days together.